Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Relax Running Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here. Man, we are churning out episodes here. I don't know what number this is. It must be like 115 or something. Anyway, we've done a lot. I hope you're enjoying it. I certainly am. Big part of the reason I'm enjoying this podcast is because of uh, guests like who we have on today. Brody Sharp is a running physiotherapist who, it's his third visit here today, and uh, we, we speak specifically about off-season running training. So there's a whole range of areas in your running and beyond that you can take care of when you're not specifically planning for um, you know one targeted race. You've got a little bit more time and flexibility to work with. So it doesn't matter whether you've been around the running scene for years and years and years and you're an Olympian or whether you've just started and you're trying to figure out how to improve. This stuff is is relevant to you. So you're going to get a lot out of it. Brody's a, a wealth of knowledge and you can uh, get a heap more from him on his podcast, The Run Smarter Podcast. So make sure you jump on over and uh, check that out if you enjoy what he has to say. Just a quick reminder before we get into this one, Relax Running is super pumped because we've recently introduced a, a brand new running training program for soccer players, or depending on where you are in the world, footballers in the lead up to their season. So if you're a soccer player trying to improve your game, trying to get through that 90 minutes and beyond uh, with fresher legs than the bloke or the woman next to you, make sure you check that out at relaxedrunning.com. You can just get access to the more generic training programs or you and I can work one-on-one together to make sure you're, uh, you're refined, you're fit, you're ready not just for the start of the season, but all the way through it and beyond. So relaxrunning.com, click on the soccer link. But uh, hey, that's all I wanted to say to you today. So I'm going to get out of your way and you can enjoy this conversation with myself and physiotherapist Brody Sharp. Just about to jump in and tell you, yeah, you're a seasoned campaigner. I noticed your, uh, your name's been jumping around a lot of uh, running podcasts, a lot of you know physio podcasts. I was having a flick through uh, the Running Strength podcast the other day just to see who he'd had on this show, and I saw your name pop up. You've uh, you've been <laughs> a busy man. It's becoming <laughs> less of a surprise to me now. You're uh, you know you're becoming you're becoming more and more international. Is the appearance that I can take away from what I'm seeing? <laughs> it's a um, it's the the end product of or like the journey product of doing what you love and just. I love talking about running, love getting on as many running podcasts as possible. It's just like, yeah, I'm on a mission to try and get as much useful information to the runners as possible. And so podcasts are a great way to do it. So I find myself on many podcasts and I'm very happy that like a lot of guests, a lot of hosts of podcasts are happy to have me on. And so pretty thankful in that regard. It's hard to argue with you now as well, because you've been on so many and because you actually (laughs) really know what you're talking about. It's like it'd be silly because so many podcast guests, as you know, or podcast hosts, it's 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 nice when someone you know reaches out to you, or when you can look at someone's background and go, oh, hang on a second, this person's le- legitimate. Like they're gonna offer mm. something really nice. <laughs> That's why I was keen to to get you back on here, not only because uh, I enjoy catching up, having a chat with you, but because I always leave the conversations with yeah, just a little bit richer knowledge. And I was saying to you before I hit record, like I've been in the scene now for for twenty years. But the idea of, you know, a lot of what you talk about, running strength, running recovery, uh, you know, everything sort of, you know, just uh, what do you say? Just building a foundation to be able to launch a, a stronger running component off is is still something that even after 20 years, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around. So I can only imagine that a lot of the people who listen to this show who are maybe a little newer to the sport would would appreciate that possibly even more than I do. But the funny thing is when I messaged you, I, I kept it fairly open the other day about what we talk about because I knew there was 27 different things we could potentially chat about. So I love, for, for those of you listening, I, I sent Brady a message and said, mate, let's just keep it pretty loose. He's like, how about we focus on one of these particular topics that I've spoken about more directly? <laughs> and I looked through some, I was like, that's such a better idea. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> well, I was really- when you're, you're having the idea of like, how about you, we just talk about what I've been up to for the past year or like what's some new insights I have I don't really like talking about me too much no one really wants to hear about me more people just want to hear about running that's I must be an outlier at, so. then because I was really interested I'm, uh, before we do just uh just you know offer me a little bit uh, we were just talking about the book that the ebook that you've put together from the run smarter podcast what was a, a repurposing of just some I'm going to say profound insights from your guests <laughs> only because I've made an appearance in the book I, I want to pipe it up even more but um, hey, tell us a little bit about that. And is it is it for sale? Is it a free download? Where are people finding it? I am constantly working on like business ideas and constantly trying to find new avenues to 
repurpose content, but also just getting more information just to, to runners. And so I actually did part one of my, my ebook was um, 10 chapters on how to reduce your risk of injury or what you need to know about injury prevention. And I did that years ago and the 10 chapters of those uh, of that topic became the first 10 episodes of the run smarter podcast. And so kind of um, released the podcast and the ebook both at the same time. And then I went through um, the first 100 episodes of my podcast and I thought, let me try and repurpose or how should I repurpose a lot of these like episodes? And so I decided to create a guest volume two, part two of an ebook, which follows the same kind of storyline, but then again, has 10 more chapters not how to reduce your, your risk of injury, but how to increase your running performance safely. And so again, 10 chapters, it covers 10 principles. And that's sort of got me thinking like, maybe I should come up with a more substantial book, maybe with a part three, because not only do runners uh, want to reduce their risk of injury, it's like what the number one thing that a lot of runners want to learn about. Um, they want to increase their running performance. They want to do it safely. So that's why I've done part two, but I really enjoyed talking about pain, pain science, and like having runners understand um, the biopsychosocial factors around pain. I find it really interesting. And I think a lot of runners really need to, it's something that you need to learn. And I thought that would be a nice part three, talking about chronic pain, talking about like, if you just have a, a um, if you're trying to manage an injury in general, what you need to know about pain. And so I've put together a template kind of like a skeleton of all those three parts. And I'm currently dedicating a lot of my time <laughs> to put together like a pretty substantial book and start putting that together, which I have no idea how long that will take because I say to myself, all right, this is my to-do list. And once I get through this to-do list, then I'm finished with the book. But the more I start writing, the more I start um, plugging away at this to-do list, I get more ideas. And so the more <laughs> I write, the more ideas I have. And so my to-do list is constantly growing rather than depleting. So when it gets done, who knows? Are you talking about your uh, your to-do list for the chapters of the book or just your to-do list for life in general is continually no, going? No, to do with right? the book. Yeah. It's all like my, I want to have quotes from the podcast. I want to have my own insights. I want to have like clients that I've worked with some really nice examples. I want to have like the literature. I really like pointing to certain parts of like papers that have been released just so it's not just me talking about my opinions, it's actually pointing to some evidence and saying, this is um, why we should sort of follow these trends or follow this bit of information. And so it's constantly just new ideas, new papers come out, new like examples of injuries. And I'm just, yeah, it's ever growing. I love it, man. So many of my good friends are like that. I think it's one thing I admire in people, maybe because it's something that um, I, I like about myself. It's just that little hustle. I love, I love people yeah. who have just got a, they've got a mission and they just, they just got their head down and they're going for it. And uh, I, that was part of the reason I wanted to get you back on as well. Cause I know you just, you're going for it. You're starting to make some big dents. So it's exciting, man. It's cool to be able to, um, you know, not only pick your brain, but I always leave these chats a little inspired for myself. So uh, good for the audience and also good for selfish reasons. But mate, today we um, we boiled it down from, uh, I wish I could show people your uh, your Instagram message on what we could potentially talk about because there was no shortage of options. Maybe a suggestion you <laughs> and I could do 15 more episodes, but uh, we boiled it down to off-season training. And uh, it's interesting, the idea of off-season I'm familiar with because uh, I used to divide my seasons between obviously track season, which was my bigger focus, and then cross-country season, which was really important in the foundation of what I was trying to build for track, but it was also, um, you know, it had its competitive elements of its own that I was really keen to improve. But a lot of people when it, when it's, uh, you know, when we're talking about on and off season, they might not be super familiar with what we mean because they don't have a des designated like, all right, I'm a track runner. I'm a cross country runner because road and cross country pretty much run all through the year. So just as a bit of a foundation, I thought I might get you to define what we're actually talking about when we say off season, what does it look like? And then uh, and then we can sort of just start delving into some of the tips, some of the ideas that we have for, for making sure we get the most out of that particular phase of our training year. Yeah, cool. And 
most of the runners I work with are just recreational runners. They're not like seasoned collegiate kind of athletes or they don't follow any structured particular season. So they might not even have an off season, but it's worth knowing that if you do have goals in mind, if you do have marathons to do sort of planned throughout the year, it's good that you can establish these sort of phases and see if an off season is right for you. Cause a lot of runners, well, some runners, they get burnt out a little bit if they, once they have a goal race and they achieve a marathon or a half marathon or um, an ultra, like they can get a little bit burnt out afterwards and then they might need a little bit of that off season, a bit more downtime um, to settle, rethink, regather, and then wait for those motivation levels to boost back up before start, you know, competing in another race or have another goal set forth in six months, 12 months time. So I guess it's open to interpretation. I know it's a little bit more structured, regimented for those who are track athletes or like cross country runners who do have a a dedicated season with their team or with themselves. Um, But if you just are a recreational runner who loves running, which are the bulk of runners that I uh, work with, you don't have to have an off season, but sometimes if you find yourself getting burnt out or wanting to train a bit more regimented, wanting to have a bit more of a peak phase and then like uh, push out the best performance possible and then have a bit of a recovery session in, in a particular time of the year, then that's usually what I would um, count as an off season. I don't know if you have a different take. I'm happy to hear your thoughts. Man, no, I'm really interested in it because uh, I, I agree with with everything you said. One of the things that I definitely toyed with when I was competitive in the running scene was how to treat that off season period. So for me, I always like to um, just maintain uh, maintain some element of running training uh, as, I, as I went through that first couple of weeks of off season. I toyed with um, taking two weeks completely off running. So the last track season, uh, the last track race of the season would finish. And then I think there was two years where I said, okay, um, if I feel like running, I can run. If I want to have a couple of weeks off completely, I have a couple of weeks off. And I remember the first year I had that, that two weeks completely off. And uh, I, I just, I remember feeling as though I'd had just such an insane amount of time off running when I got back into it, that it didn't really it felt like I just felt so sluggish for about a week that it was just, I didn't really enjoy the, even if there were physical benefits to it, I didn't like, I didn't really enjoy the mental side of that sluggishness. So as the seasons went on the the next year, I I might've had that week off and then introduced like some lighter running. And then I think that was the only two years I had completely off. And then from there, it would just be like, all right, well, official training has finished. Um, So it was like, all right, you might just go for a, you know, a 15 minute run just to turn the legs over and even that, like running between sort of 15 and 30 minutes a day, back when I was running 160K a week, like it sounds to new runners, 15 or 30 minutes a day might still be a challenge. But in, in comparison to what I had been doing, it was almost nothing. But that almost nothing still um, it allowed me to turn the legs over so that when I started to reintroduce that heavier side of the training, you know, beyond that two-week off period, it was it felt like more of a natural progression. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad that you sort of, highlighted the the trial and error side of things. Like you tried having two weeks off and then um, the next season tried a, a little bit more running and see what kind of works for you. Cause I think that's probably if we had like a takeaway message, probably what's going to get down to is like trying a few different things to see how you respond, how you bounce back. And you also said that you're just trying to um, just see how you feel. And like, I think a lot of runners should make those decisions off how you're feeling and, if you do lose motivation or if you do like wind up with constantly getting injured or um, just feeling really sore, tired legs all the time, maybe it's worth listening to your body, both um, the physical side of things, but also the mental side of things and trying to find what's the best pattern for you during that particular time of the year. And yeah, I'm a big fan of just the trial and error and trying to see what, what naturally fits and hone in on a bit more of a, um, a tailored kind of fit for you and how you're responding. Yeah. It's funny because when you separate yourself emotionally from what's actually going on, like if I was looking at an athlete's training, I would say, all right, well, running to how you feel might just be something that you navigate, something that you toy with. Um, But we're such regimented creatures. I think uh, at the heart of it, we find it so much easier uh, just ignoring how we feel, looking at the training program and making sure that we tick off every box because for whatever reason, and I know as I've sort of progressed in my knowledge and, and sort of ability as a runner, 
I could see the benefits to someday backing off my training rather than forcing myself through a 90 minute run if I was a little bit under the weather. But there was plenty of years where I was like, all right, it's on the calendar. It's on the schedule. It has to be done. And I remember I started training with Adam Diddick, um, you know, in the three years before I finished up my, my competitive running career. And one thing that he said to me every time he sent my training through, even during the season, was like, mate, just understand as much thought and effort that I've put into structuring this towards your goal, these sessions are written in pencil. He goes, that means that they can be rubbed out and adjusted if uh, if the way that you're feeling on a particular night or at the start of the session is just evidence that you're not going to be able to get through it effectively. And that that really resonated resonated with me. I thought, oh, the idea of it being written in pencil, that I've actually got a little bit of a ability, and if I've got the discipline to to and, I guess, confidence to make some changes to it, it's, uh, I don't know, there was there was something in that that, that left me with a lot of confidence, not only in the fact that he was leaving me open to, you know, critique some of the sessions that he might have had down that I didn't think were perfect on that particular night, but um, also for the, it just allows a little bit of flexibility to how you feel. So uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that or your experience. I can imagine as a physio, you would have seen plenty of people who are the uh, the kings of, of just getting through a training routine and, and not paying too much attention to how they feel. Yeah. Yeah. You see a whole bunch of different runners out there. Some, some do like to ignore what the the signs and the signals that their body's telling them. Um, some people don't even know what it's like to run easy or to feel good or to it's feel so like true. loose. It's because they just like run themselves into the ground, and it's kind of getting them to see the other side, try something new, and see what the what running should feel like or, or how mm. well balanced a training plan should be. Um, before they actually start realizing, oh, I've been doing it all wrong. My legs have been like so tired. I've been like waking up feeling stiff every single day. Um, I just thought that was a part of being a runner. But, you know, if you showed them the other side, then that could um, change their their mindset. Usually as a, as a physio, I'm seeing injured runners who are trying to either get back to running or get back to pain-free running or, you know, achieve a greater distance without symptoms flaring up. And so I'm constantly teaching them to listen to their body and particularly around symptoms, particularly around symptoms during and after a run and the next morning, just to accurately interpret exactly what's going on if they're handling their current running mileage. Um, So once people work with me and once they listen to the podcast as well, there's tons of lessons around there about how to not only listen to your body, but also how to interpret those sort of signals. But you do get a whole bunch of different runners who um, who are a bit more stubborn, who are a bit more cautious, who, you know, some people you really need to pull the reins back and say, you're going way too fast. Cause as soon as they have a little bit of leeway, as soon as they start feeling a little bit good, they're just going to overdo things. But then you also have the cautious ones who are just, they don't want to flare anything up and they don't want to um, exacerbate symptoms. And you actually need to give them a little bit more flexibility and say, Hey, you can actually probably handle this. Let's give it a try. And actually, you know, um, put the carrot out in front of them a little bit more. So everyone's everyone's different. Yeah, it's so interesting as well because I, I used to think this was just unique to the, the distance runners of the world. And then um, like I've got a history in, in played a bit of football, AFL football, played some soccer, mainly when I was younger. But I, I understood from, you know, watching both elements, especially football, that we're all the kings of just going as hard as we possibly can. And I'm not sure if we've spoken about this before, but the idea of taking your foot off the throttle is for whatever reason, so much more difficult. And the soccer seems the same. It's um, And I, I coach a, a, t- a former tennis player now, Matthias. And uh, one of the things that he says to me is like, mate, as a tennis player back in the day, like I would go out for an easy run and my easy runs would be about my 10 K PB pace. Cause just the idea <laughs> of taking it easy is almost uh, less more foreign to a tennis player than what it is to a distance runner. So it's, uh, it's obviously a, it's a really hot topic because whether we're, we're great at, uh, you know, navigating away through an off season or we're in that category of really struggling, it's obviously a hot topic that a lot of us are trying to navigate. So um, I guess uh, uh, I'm really keen just to, to throw it to you and, and, and you can sort of grab my hand and guide me through a number of the uh, the off-season tips that, that you might have. And then uh, perhaps we can have a little bit of a chat around experience and ideas of, of those particular points and, you know, hopefully unpack a couple of really helpful, practical ways for people to implement it in their own uh, training plan. Yeah. The, the first thing I usually think about, which runners don't do, I think, in general in life, people need to do more of, and that's self-reflect what they have done in say the, the previous season, the previous year, or even the past five years. We rarely 
we sort of live in the moment. We kind of live week by week or race by race and don't have a, a broader kind of look or to reflect back and actually say, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well, what, what did I learn? What can I change for the next season? It doesn't even have to be for seasons. It could be for races. If you um, planned for a marathon, if you trained throughout that marathon, you executed on that marathon, and then you have that recovery time afterwards before actually deciding upon what, what your next goal should be or what your next race should be. Ask yourself those four questions. What, okay. Throughout that whole phase, what did go well? What didn't go well? What did I learn? What can I change is really, really crucial to a lot of like revelations, a lot of insights and a lot of tweaking um, your program or tweaking just your approach in in general, because even just in life, like when I, I do it a lot less now, but when I first started podcasting and I was, you know, not used to interviewing or editing or asking questions or putting together an episode topic, uh, I would have a guest on, ask some questions, go through it. And then before like I'd hit pause and then I'd think, okay, what went well, what didn't go so well, what did I learn? What can I change? And I believe that my uh, the quality of those episodes like uh, increase pretty substantially. If I was to just fumble my way through it and not really take a chance to self-reflect and have a look back on it. And there was a lot where I actually needed to have some deep thought and actually went, Oh, you know, that actually did go really well. I tried this for the first time and actually worked really well. Like the responses that I got or um, you know, just the, the quality in general. So reflect back over your past training, reflect back over the previous months and think, okay, how many times was I injured? Um, how fresh did I feel? How did, how was my outcome goal? Like how did I perform time-wise throughout the marathon? How was my balance? Um, was it too intense? Was it too low intensity? Um, how was my recovery, diet, sleep? How was my um, cross training? Like all of these sort of things you can just ask yourself, and just take the time to ask yourself because it doesn't really take that long. You probably need to sit down for half an hour and just write a few things out. But then you have this crucial piece of the puzzle that no one, hardly anyone actually does. And you can carry forth to the to the next season and like boost up your um, likelihood for success or to better yourself for the next time round. Such a great point, man. This, um, this is something I find really interesting. I was a fairly avid uh, training diary keeper throughout my running career and part of that was like the nostalgia of having a, an old training diary that I, I could look through because I had running coaches that would show me their old training diaries and I was like man it's so cool that you showed me stuff from the 80s and, and actually Steve Monaghetti's interview on here was pretty cool because he was taking out his training diary from like 1989 and reading wow. through the um, approach to his his 89 marathon uh, in Berlin which he won and uh, it was just it was just really cool so I thought okay that's that's uh that's like sexy to me that, that idea of having a, uh, an old training diary. But on a practical level, as you say, nothing's more helpful than, than looking through your training in the lead up to like, for me, my favorite event was the 3000 meters. And like before I ran eight ten, one of the coolest things was to look back at sort of the three months of training leading up to that and go, all right, what was I doing? Like, why was it that this particular night I was, I was able to actually get to the track and, you know, execute uh, the, you know, the right race plan after setting up a nice foundation. And you're right, man, I don't think a lot of people do take that time to reflect. And it's it's not unique to, to running, obviously. Like the uh, the last two years, I've been really heavily involved in ASX day trading, just on stocks. And I came from nothing. And all the coaches in the trading scene say the same thing. Record yourself when you trade. At the end of the day, go through what worked. Did you panic? Did you get scared? Uh, you know, was there enough, blah, blah, blah. And same is true in the comedy scene, man. And it's the most brutal feeling to drive home. <laughs> I did a gig last night in front of mostly comedians and tried new jokes. And to get to the punchline and just hear crickets is so frustrating, so terrifying, so oh, humbling. But also, as you say, it's like the best way to learn. Like, all right, what worked? What didn't? What should I apply? What should I never do again? Um, what a what a great it's such a practical thing to say out loud isn't it and as you say it doesn't have to be a really long and laborious process 
Yeah, I'm getting anxious just you thinking it or just talking about that whole stand-up <laughs> comedy scene. I'm just like, oh God, I don't think I could ever do that. So kudos. Um, yeah, I, totally I used agree. to say I the think same we... thing for what it's worth. And uh, yeah, maybe I should never have started because it is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes you like to, it's good to do things that scare you sometimes. Yeah, I do. I do. I say that tongue in cheek, of course. I do love it, but it's terrifying. <laughs> Sorry, man, you are yeah. happy off. Um, probably lost my train of thought a little bit, but I, I do think it's just four simple questions, but I also think it's kind of, it's deep thought as well. I think it, there is some aspect to see beyond like the superficial to say like, Oh, what went well? Yeah. My mileage was good. What didn't go so well? Oh, I got injured. Uh, what did I learn? Okay. I learned to maybe see a physio earlier in my injury, get it assessed a bit earlier. Um, what can I change? Well, maybe I'll go to a physio a bit earlier. Like you can easily just quickly think of things, mm-hmm. but I think if you like actually spend some time to do like a couple of layers deeper, you might start to uncover some really nice foundation stuff that you wouldn't have realized if you hadn't really like committed it to like deliberate practice. Mm. Um, So yeah, I do think it it, in a way that it can be um, a quick process. If you think of reflecting over the past year, it could be quite um, a quick 30 minute thing, but you do need to sit down and have a really good think about it, but it's, once you practice it enough, you can start to identify things in the moment as well. You can, you know, if I was to reflect back on the last 12 months of running, I probably couldn't remember what happened with a lot of detail. I'd probably think of like general trends, but if you, if it becomes a habit to, to ask you yourself these four questions, then, you know, you can look back over the past week, you can look back over the past few days and then you can um, really start to, get that detail because we forget things very easily. I can't remember what, what I had for lunch like four days ago, but (laughs) the it's, it does. Yeah. It's a, it's a skill. It's a habit. It's a practice. And I think a lot of people need to, to do it more often in a lot of aspects of their life. Yeah. Really well said, man. That's good. So we've set the foundation. We're off and running. That was number one. What's uh, what's up next on your list? I think, well, when you say a list, I've got five things here. So I actually do have a list. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I knew you're an organized man. <laughs> I the, the second one, like once you've had a look at those four questions, is probably just have a look at your current mental state. So if you if you've just started the off season and you have finished a marathon or a training block or you know the peak part of your your training and you're coming into that off season, it's kind of like, well, how much should I still run? How what, what volume should I still run at? Um, should I take complete time off? Um, I think it's worth just looking at how motivated you currently feel, where mentally and physically you're currently at. We, we kind of talked about listening to how you feel and sort of making that decision. But then once you've made that decision, kind of trial it and then see if it works or not for you. Maybe trial something different next off season just to see if that works for you. But um, I do think the the mental side of things has a real um, needs to be analyzed quite deeply because if you have this burnout that's not really aggressive enough to identify and then you just carry over into the next season doing um more running that that burnout can kind of um compound and so that next off season can be a little bit more um less enjoyable you could say and then if you were to take some off some time off in your training during that off season and sort of have time to refresh mentally kind of unwind and take your mind off running. Every run is different. Like I love running. I don't necessarily have training peaks or, you know, high volumes, but I could just run all year round. I don't need any accountability or race to prepare for. I just love getting out and getting some fresh air. So on that side of things, some runners can be highly motivated the entire year because they just love running, but some can get a bit sick of it in phases. If they've done a lot of it and they just need some time off, if they do need time off, how much time off, or is it complete time off? Um, so really reflecting on that. And I know there's a few running, like coaches have different training philosophies on how much volume someone should do in their off season. And that might come into it as well. Um, depending on how elite they are or what goals they have moving forward, a coach might say, keep a certain running mileage. Some like ultra running coaches just like people operating at very high running mileage all year round. And so there are a few different training philosophies around there that um, would suit runners more uh, suit runners differently. But if you do find you're getting some burnout, then maybe just 
worth that adjustment? What do you think about that? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I I just like the nuance that's that's in that, and we sort of touched on it, or I touched on this a little bit in the 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 first point that we were speaking about is is just taking some time to assess. And you you uh, sort of mentioned mindset there a little bit, and the emotional connection sometimes that we have to our running performance. It can be almost like a roller coaster and you know during the up times of our running performance it could be something where you know we're up and about and we've got the strut in our step and we're excited to be out training but during those flatter patches which are inevitable in a sport like running where you know our heads drop where our shoulders are slumped and it's amazing how quickly our attitude towards running can change based on how it is that we're feeling and man one of the uh, one of the best things that, that I've done in the last couple of weeks was I've just signed up for Sam Harris has a a meditation app I'm not sure if you've heard of it just called waking oh. up mm-hmm. and uh, I've heard anyone, of it but I haven't I haven't used it dude it's got a they got a 7 day free trial and I was I was a little skeptical cuz traditionally like if you had asked me a year ago what I felt about Sam Harris I probably was fairly neutral like yeah okay yeah some of his stuff's good a lot of it I disagree with and I think that was just off like maybe one or two YouTube videos that I'd seen. I hadn't really given him a, a fair chance, but his app is, it's so well set out. And, and, and I was thinking actually the other day as I was, so he has like a little overview of a meditation and then he offers a meditation. And one of the things that he speaks about in it is that the only thing that we ever have with us everywhere is, is our mindset. And I thought, ah, oh, if we can just learn to navigate our way through the emotional side of running or life in general, like so many things that were sort of up and down on, on such a regular basis start to level out a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, sure, the highs might not feel as high when you're running really well, but the lows all of a sudden don't upset you as much as what they, they once would. And just, I feel just having an understanding that that's a natural part of the, um, that the running world is a really helpful tool. Exactly. And especially when they're injured as well, then they go through a huge roller coaster of emotions and frustration and self-blame and self-sabotage a lot of times because, they, they sort of blame themselves for getting injured or they blame a health professional or a coach for pushing them too hard or misdiagnosing them initially. It's like a huge roller coaster that I um, encounter a lot. And so, yeah, the, the life of a runner, it has its um, peaks, troughs and everything in between. Mm, yeah, it's a really good point, man. It's a really good point. I'm not sure if there's anything else in particular you wanted to say on that. I almost feel as though I'm cheating here and offering you the reign. So when you think we've covered... <laughs> whatever point you have uh, enough, feel free just to, to carry this conversation straight on through, man. Yeah, I think the next point that I had written down was more um, sort of like flows on a lot from that. And it's like kind of making the decision of what training volume you should stick to. So like once you've self-reflected, once you've analyzed kind of your emotional state and what your degree, like your motivation levels or your burnout rate, um, it's then kind of assigning what sort of, training volume to, to maintain or keep because it's, it's quite hard to uh, rebuild a fitness. Like if you've had six day weeks off, no running, no cardio whatsoever, it's kind of hard to rebuild that, but it's really easy to maintain mm. that fitness with doing at least a little something. So like if I was at the gym and I was like doing a bench press and I was working really hard, progressing every week and getting to a certain level of um, strength. If I wanted to maintain that strength, I'd probably only need to do bench press maybe once a week. Even if I'm just, if we use this analogy of an off season, if I was to do 50% of the bench press that I used to do and just did that once or twice a week, I could probably maintain a lot, the bulk of that, uh, strength. I could probably get back to that hundred percent within a couple of weeks because I, it's really easy to maintain, but I have had extended periods of time where I've gone on holidays, gone traveling and or just had a break from a certain exercise. And then I tried to get back into it. And it's so hard. It takes such a long time to get back to that full, um, to hundred percent. And I remember I, I did a six month trip like five or six years ago. And I used to love chin-ups. I used to do rock climbing, indoor rock climbing and, um, chin-ups was like, I, because I was really good at it, it was one of my favorite exercises to do. And I was smashing out maybe like 20 per um, set and had six months off, went traveling, didn't do any gym whatsoever, had a lot of beers, just like out having a good time, came back and I could hardly do five. And I was so depressed because it was this favorite thing that I love doing, but you have six months off. It takes a long time to get back up. But 
same thing can be said for, for running volumes. Do you want to um, have a complete time off? Do you want to do some cross training? Um, it's, it's trying to find how you can sort of reboot a lot of those, the mental state, reboot the body and commit to some certain level of training volume, some level of running volume or some cross training alternatives. Um, it can be a nice deliberate decision that you make and then just listen to the body along the way. Maybe say, Oh, you know, I told myself 30 Ks per week, but after the first week or two, maybe it's a bit too much. Let me peg it back a little bit or, you know, it's worth readjusting, but having that, that decision incorporating in the decision-making process can be really helpful. Yeah. From a, from a physio perspective, do you have any general guidelines to offer people around figuring out volume? Cause that's one question that, that I, I get fairly regularly. I would, I would suggest is, uh, is just navigating. Like if someone's brand new to the sport of running and they've set their, their mind on like, let's just say it's January. Now someone says, okay, I'd like to run the half marathon in Melbourne this year. Like, at, from a from a physio perspective, are there are there some certain key factors that we need to look out for to make sure that that volume isn't increasing too quickly? Obviously, little sore points, tender points, and things like that. But uh, as we've established, people are very good at just going, all right, I need to do more and do it quicker um, than actually just gradually building up to something. The hard part is finding a starting point for a lot of people, and you do, you kind of have to underdo it to start with to be a bit conservative, but it's. If someone in your example said, I have, haven't ran before, but I want to do a marathon in 10 months' time, um, where where should I start? What, what's my starting volume? There's no like research or data to kind of point to numbers, but just off your general feel, usually go off um, their past history with certain activities or their strength and just get a gauge of what you think they can tolerate. And is it's a it's a guessing game, but it's it's trying to find, get as much data points as you can to reach uh, um, like a decision that kind of sounds like you've got justification behind it. And so for an example, someone might um, be a new parent and they haven't ran for, you know, five years, haven't done really any sort of exercise fitness for five years and they've put on some weight and then they say, okay, um, my kids are a little bit older now. I want to start focusing on myself. Let me, start running. Mm-hmm. You'll be starting really gradually, like a couch to 5k style, like a lot of walking, little bit of jogging, readjusting after a couple of weeks is based on how the body feels because they're pretty much based on zero. Whereas when I started running, um, never a long distance runner. Um, I was in my early twenties, but I had a pretty substantial background playing basketball. So good level of fitness. Um, somewhat strong in the gym, doing gym a couple of times a week. So had a, an aerobic and strength kind of foundation, but just didn't know how to do long distance at a slow, steady pace for a long period of time. And so I could probably be a, a lot more easier with assigning a higher volume to start with. Um, and then once you've found a starting point, once there's a bit more, um, bit more substance behind it, then there are some general guidelines, some general volumes. Most people hear the 10% rule of mileage and building upon 10%, but you know, it's extremely conservative for someone who is already operating at really low mileage. You wouldn't do 10%. It just take way too long to, to ramp things up. And so it does depend on the runner. If someone is doing 20 to 30 Ks per week, then you might want to do somewhere between 10 and 15%, sometimes 15 to 20 if they're um, for a certain period of time, if they're negotiating it quite well, they're starting to get a bit sore or lacking a little bit of recovery or, um, you know, maybe some injuries are popping up here and there. Or if someone has a a long history of running related injuries, then you might need to peg it back to five to 10%. If someone's had three different running related injuries in the past six months, then you want to be really conservative with them because through the research we know the more injuries, the more running related injuries you've had in the past, no matter what they are, increases your likelihood of another running related injury in the future. So the more you have, the more conservative you should be and the more cautious you should be with increasing your running mileage. And so, yeah, there are a few guidelines that we can follow. Sometimes I like to have 10 to 15%. If someone's at a really low, starting off with a really low base, we can up it to 15 to 20% for the first couple of weeks. Um, but 
the other conversation to be had is like, if you just purely go off running mileage, we're not factoring in intensity and someone could increase by 10% per week. They could go from, you know, running 30 Ks per week to 33 Ks per week, but they have upped their intensity substantially and they get this overuse injury because a lot of their 30 Ks was really easy mileage, but this new 33 Ks incorporates a lot of sprint work or um, hill repeats or just like time trials or efforts and they get an overuse injury and they say, what the hell? I thought 10% was conservative and you just delve into the intensity side of things and find that there was a huge abrupt change in their training and that's why they're injured. And so there are a few ways around factoring in um, intensity, which I can go into, but I don't know where you want this conversation to go. <laughs> oh, no, just to, just to sort of put an asterisk next to what you've just said there. I, 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 um, what I love about what you've said is, yeah, it's just such an individualized sport. And as much as, you know, you can jump onto Google and find a generic training program to run your first half marathon. From my perspective, when, whenever someone contacts me looking for coaching or looking for a training program, most of the time, like I've got access to generic training programs or there's that at the relaxed running website, but I'm far more careful to, or, or far more focused on working with people one-on-one for, for that exact reason. It's just, just having that open line of communication to go, all right, like we've made a couple of changes in your training schedule this week. Sure. We've added the volume, but we might've slightly reduced the intensity and just toying with that. I think that room for growth is, is so much easier to develop when you've actually got that open uh, communication stream going back and forth. So um, yeah, like anyone out there who's, who's sort of just getting stuck or, or bumping their heads on generic training programs, I reckon that's something to consider, even if it's, you know, it doesn't have to be me or, or Brody as such, but even if you can contact someone who's got a little more running experience than you to just help structure, help guide the way to, towards your goal. Cause as you say there, there's quite a few moving variables that if you move them all at once, it can uh, pretty quickly lead a, lead you down a road of, of injury and and just even fatigue. Yeah. Assigning, assigning like a distance, assigning like a particular focus for a session, assigning a certain intensity for that session is really nice. You don't see too many uh, running programs that incorporate all of those. Sometimes it's just like that really generic, you know, five Ks today, seven Ks on the weekend uh, and, like it's sometimes that simple, but yeah, it does require some tailored, um, some tailored modifications because we know that unexpected things do happen. We know throughout an entire marathon, if you were to follow that regimented um, buildup, if you get injured three quarters of the way through, then that throws a huge wrench into the, the training program and you're stuck with what to do. Like if you, got injured and you had to take a week off just as a very minimalist style of injury. If you had to take seven days off, well, where do you restart? Do you start back at where you were injured? Do you pretend like that injury didn't happen and start a week ahead? And, or do you just try and have an aggressive kind of ramp catch up sort of approach? Like you just left really stuck. And so that's where the, the modifications do come in. You do have a coach that says, okay, we're back to running. These are the modifications we need to make. This is how we can still keep running, still monitor um, symptoms. These are the, we're going to take a couple of Ks off your long run. We're going to remove this um, high intensity hill repeat and we're going to replace it with a slow, easy something. And then we'll just like build up from there. It's like unexpected things happen. Very rarely does everything go according to plan throughout a marathon training um, schedule. So yeah, it does require those modifications. Really good point, man. Well said. All right, we've got two more points to get through. I'm, uh, I'm keen to hear what number four is. So uh, as I said, you, you paved the way. Um, we talked about like the, just be careful when you return back to training. Like if during the off season, if you do have significant time off um, and you do get back in, it's like off season's done. Let me get back into my running, just making sure that things aren't too abrupt. But the fourth one I have is the chance to work on any of your weak links. Like a lot of people have their weak links in their running and a lot of it, I know a lot of runners who think they're quite well-rounded, but they lack in say speed work or they lack in strengthening or they lack in maybe mobility or their recovery or certain aspects that they don't spend a lot of time on when they're in that peak. They don't really have time while they're in that peak phase of their training to learn how to deadlift or learn how to ramp up there or 
change up their strength programs or their cross training. So off season is the perfect time to develop into a more well-rounded, more resilient type of runner, because we do want that running resiliency. It might be, I've got like my usual go-tos are strength and conditioning. If there's any weak links in your strength and conditioning, now's a great time to start building upon that. If you have, um, if you don't have any cross training alternatives, if you're one to run six days per week, five or six days per week, and you don't have any cross training alternatives and you have been injured multiple times in the past year, it's probably good to find a cross training alternative to help shift the loads of your body because most running related injuries are overuse. You're using the same muscle, the same way, the same time over and over and over again until it eventually reaches its capacity. But cross training, if it's cycling or if it's on a rower, if it's the elliptical machine, all of these help your cardiovascular system, but shift the loads, shift the demands of the body in different ways. So it reduces your risk of overuse injuries, but a lot of runners just want to run. They don't want to do cross training stuff because they don't want to try it out and suck at it. They want to do what they're good at. And so they're detoured from trying these new things, but off season training, the off season might be a really good opportunity to venture out and try a few of these different cross training alternatives. And maybe if you persist for a couple of weeks, you might find one that you like. Um, other ones is maybe a change in shoes. If you want to like try to go towards like a minimalist shoe or try some different types of property style shoes, we know that that takes a, um, a transition needs to be quite gradual, which you might not have time for in peak training um, and maybe just speed work or heel repeats or um plyo kind of training like all these sort of things that are developed to make you a well-rounded resilient runner you now have time for and then you can slowly build that into your next season training for next season and you become a more resilient runner that's what that's the goal that we all have and so now's a perfect time to do it that's good man yeah i like that idea at the end of the season just being like a bit more of a clean slate just to just to try these things out because it can be overwhelming when your schedule is already full of training ideas to go, all right, I'm going to try and add this on top of everything else as well. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. said, man, I haven't got much uh, uh, much to offer at the end of that apart from an exclamation point. So so really, really nicely done, man. And, uh, and, and we round us out, um, uh, point, number, point number five. Yeah, point number five is just pretty much just assigning or setting yourself some goals for the next season. So we've reflected on the season before it's time to assign something for the next season, because we know that you achieve better outcomes when you set some goals and it might not necessarily be an outcome goal. It might not necessarily be a um, marathon in under four hours. It might be something along getting better sleep, better nutrition, um, working on mobility, working on the strength training, all these sort of goals that um, they might be process goals rather than those outcome goals. But if you put them down on paper, you commit to them, you're increasing your likelihood for success rather than just having a really vague plan, crossing your fingers and seeing how it goes and just hoping for the best. We know that the better outcomes, you more the likelihood of success um, increases when you start writing things down and committing to something. Yeah, so much easier to hit a target when you know what it is you're aiming for. It's, a, right. it's a great point. I don't know what you're like at the end of the season. I'm a, I'm a big goal setter. Like for me, I, I thoroughly enjoy sitting down, not just with with uh, the categories expanded a little for me now because when I was running, obviously I had a, a, a section of goals dedicated just to my running, whereas now running fits into more of like a, a health and fitness routine. So it's a part of a, a bigger kind of spectrum. But but for me, I, like my favourite thing, I, I did it just a few weeks ago, is to go to a cafe for a few hours and just to flirt with a couple of little ideas about what it is I'm going to try and achieve next year. And, and as you say, like a, a lot of them, are, um, they sort of, what do you say? What's the right word? They, they sort of transform a little bit as I go sometimes. Like I'll, I'll start out with a particular goal and sometimes I'll be a little conservative. And even that, like even just having a goalpost that you pass quite early, I find great because it, it's great for your confidence. Like, and some of the goals I, I don't even realise are conservative at the time, but I'll sit down and go, all right, well, like X will be a really good target. And then all of a sudden by mid-February, you've hit that. I go, hang on a second. I've got a little bit of swagger going on here. 
and it's it's really nice headspace to take into the rest of the year. So um, that's a that's a really good way to finish out, man. It's a it's a great a great closing point. Have you uh, have you done much of the goal setting stuff in in your own life? I, I picked you as a bit of a goal setter, to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, when it comes to health and fitness, I'm more of a reflector. Like um, definitely around health, I'm like, okay, how can I better this? How can I better this area? How can I bet? How can I get better at sleep? How can I get better at nutrition? It's not like a goal of let me sleep for nine hours a night. It's more of a um, <clears throat> How, what what has happened in the past has disrupted my sleep and how can I change it to get better sleep in the future? So it's more of a reflecting, but on the business side of things, I'm very much goal setting, very much like an ideas man. Uh, this is what where I sort of see myself in certain periods of time and dedicating to that. So health and fitness, more of a reflector and modifying things here and there, just trying to get a little bit better each time. But definitely the business side of things, uh, the podcast side of things, I'm more of that analytical let's um let's have these growth kind of goals and assign myself that so yeah it's it's interesting that i've had those two approaches for those particular aspects of life but i've found it particularly useful awesome man and for those uh for those listeners who are brand new to the show i think this is your third time on here so i, I reckon like the core crew in the relaxed running world uh, knows all about you but for, for anyone else who, who might not know too much about you where do they obviously the run smarter podcast have you got a website you've got an, do you have an app up and running I, I do i have a few things going on but the the podcast is always the first avenue or the first medium that i uh, i want people to kind of check out because i'm really passionate about people learning themselves and kind of building on their their own running iq and so, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, the first 10 episodes of the Run Smarter podcast contain 10 universal principles to reduce your risk of injury. And that's usually what grips people, what people like about that and gets them continuing on to more episodes. And there's 200 and 200 plus episodes on there at the moment. But if they do like that um style if they do see the benefits and they start like implementing things in their running uh, they can usually go the next step i do have the app that houses my blogs houses um, some uh, videos and houses my uh, episodes they're all in neat kind of categories and i also have like a free injury chat if people are interested in that it's just free 20 minutes if you need to talk about uh, achilles tendinopathy or an injury that's you're really struggling to overcome. I usually have a lot of my podcast listeners booking in for those. And if they need to discuss or if they want to find out if they're suitable for online physio or in-person physio, then that's a good time to do so as well. Awesome, man. Now that sounds great. Well, dude, always good to catch up with you. Thanks again for uh, for stopping by. It's, uh, it's good to see you moving and shaking in the world of running. So as always, mate, open invitation for you uh, on here anytime if you've got something new to say or share. Always good to catch up, mate. Thanks for having me on.